Jephthah of Saul, when David had returned from striking down the Amalekites, David remained in Ziklag. And on the third day, behold, a man came from Saul's camp with his clothes torn and dirt on his head. And when he came to David, he fell to the ground and paid homage. David said to him, Where do you come from? And he said to him, I have escaped from the camp of Israel. And David said to him, How did it go? Tell me. And he answered, The people fled from the battle, and also many of the people have fallen and are dead. And Saul and his son Jonathan are also dead. Then David said to the young man who told him, How do you know that Saul and his son Jonathan are dead? And the young man who told him said, By chance I happened to be on Mount Gilboa, and there was Saul leaning on his spear, and behold, the chariots and the horsemen were close upon him. And when he looked behind him, he saw me and called to me. And I answered, Here I am. And he said to me, Who are you? I answered him, I am an Amalekite. And he said to me, Stand beside me and kill me, for anguish has seized me, and yet my life still lingers. So I stood beside him and killed him, because I was sure that he could not live after he had fallen. And I took the crown that was on his head, and the armlet that was on his arm, and have brought them here to my Lord. Then David took hold of his clothes and tore them, and so did all the men who were with him. And they mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul and for Jonathan his son, and for all the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel, because they had fallen by the sword. And David said to the young man who told him, Where do you come from? And he answered, I am the son of a sojourner, an Amalekite. David said to him, How is it you were not afraid to put out your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed. Then David called one of the young men and said, Go, execute him. And he struck him down so that he died. And David said to him, Your blood be on your head, for from your own mouth has, if your own mouth has testified against you, saying, I have killed the Lord's anointed. And David lamented with this lamentation over Saul and Jonathan his son. And he said, it should be taught to the people of Judah. Behold, it is written, written in the book of Jashur. He said, your glory, O Israel, is slain on your high places. How the mighty have fallen. Tell it not in Gath. Publish it not in the streets of Ashkelon, lest the daughters of the Philistines, result, re, lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice, lest the daughters of the uncircumcised exult. You mountains of Gilboa, let there be no dew or rain upon you, nor fields of offerings. For there the shield of the mighty was defiled, the shield of Saul not anointed with oil. From the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan turned not back, and the sword of Saul returned not empty. Saul and Jonathan, beloved and lovely, in life and in death they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles, they were stronger than lions. You daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you luxuriously in scarlet, who put ornaments of gold on your apparel. How oh, the mighty have fallen in the midst of the battle. Jonathan lies slain on your high places. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant you have been to me. Your love to me was extraordinary, surpassing the love of women. How the mighty have fallen, and the weapon of weapons of war perished.
Uh, let's pray. Uh, dear God, please help us to listen, listen carefully through um, the sermon and please um, uh, use this passage and the sermon to help us uh, lead lives to your glory and that we may serve you better and uh, our fellow people. Amen. reverting to my NIV because familiar with the pages. Well, the title for I have this morning is Good Grief. I guess you could use that in two ways. David's grief, good grief, and good grief. What's happening here in this uh, passage uh, before us? Increasingly, um, it's easy to lose your job or put your job at risk from using the wrong words at the wrong time. And uh, MPs can be disowned very quickly, as can football managers and all sorts of people. Nurses can be fired for suggesting prayer Unfortunately, this Amalekite, he really got his words wrong and uh, he lost his life. It was bad timing all round. With David there, he was sitting in Ziglag amongst the dust and the ashes of the town that the Amalekites had destroyed, their homes all, de all destroyed. And uh, you can imagine David in that town amongst the wreck of the city looking at the rescued wives, still traumatized by the effect of their being taken hostage as they tried to prepare meals as best they could and into that terribly depressing situation or sad situation, destructed, ruined situation, uh, this Amalekite is not going to be flavor of the month. Uh, especially with his desperate news from the battlefield 80 miles away, uh, what happened to the Israelites and it was certainly in a, bl a bleak time, a bleak time for them all. Well, the first observation uh, from the narrative here is that it's a staggering start. It's my first point, a staggering start. Uh, a man staggers, it, staggers in and he's in mourning dress, isn't he? After the death of Saul, David returned from defeating the Amalekites and stayed in Ziglag two days. On the third day, a man arrived from Saul's camp with his clothes torn with dust on his head. And he came to David and fell to the ground to pay him honor. He's in mourning dress. He's mourning, as it were, uh, by his dress. And he's come to tell David of a staggering military defeat. Verse 3, where have you come from, David asked. He, he answered, I've escaped from the Israelite camp. What happened, David asked, tell me. He said, the men fled from the battle. Many of them fell and died, and Saul and his son Jonathan are dead. That's terrible news. Uh, and uh, David, yeah, David wants more. Verse 5, David said to the young man who brought him the report, how do you know that Saul and his son Jonathan are dead? And then the man dramatically sets the scene. He says, I happened to be on Mount Gilboa, 
and there, and there was Saul leaning on his spear with the chariots and riders almost upon him. When he turned round and saw me, he called out to me and said, What can I And I said, What can I do? He asked me, Who are you? An Amalekite, I answered. Then he said to me, Stand over me and kill me. I'm in the throes of death, but I'm still alive. So I stood over him and killed him, because I knew that after he had fallen, he could not survive. And I took the crown that was on his head, the band on his arm, and I brought them here to uh, my Lord. Sort of form of euthanasia, I guess. Uh, But was this detail true? Was this detail true? Almost certainly it wasn't. It just might have been, but almost certainly it wasn't true. Where are the king's bodyguards, and why didn't the armor-bearer, who was still alive at the time, why didn't the armor-bearer stop it? The Amalekite uh, most likely was an observer of the battle, an opportunist, and perhaps like the Philistines a bit later on the next day, there to rob the corpses before the Philistines did turn up. Uh, That's what this man perhaps was there for to strip the dead, as it says in chapter 31 of the previous book, just back a page, uh, verse 31. Sorry, chapter 31, verse 8. Uh, And the chronicler of 1 Samuel, we're in 2 Samuel, but the chronicler of 1 Samuel, surely we can rely on him more than we can rely on this Amalekite for the story. Uh, The chronicler of 1 Chronicles is bringing the word of God to us. Now, there isn't absolutely every detail there, but we can trust the word of the chronicler, of the historian of one, of one, of one Samuel. And uh, this is God's word, and he says that Saul took his own life. Chapter 31, verse 4, just back a page. Saul said to his armour-bearer, he'd been injured, wounded critically, Saul said to his armour-bearer, draw your sword and run me through, or these uncircumcised fellows will come and run me through and abuse me. But the armour-bearer was terrified and would not do it. So Saul took his own sword and fell on it. And when the armour-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he too fell on his sword and died with him. So Saul, his three sons, and his armour-bearer, and all his men died together on the same day. So Saul, according to the writer of 1 Samuel, took his, his own life. And it seems like the Amalekite was lying. Uh, the point for us, or the application perhaps for us this morning, is that God can't deal in lies. God can't deal in lies. It's a message for all of us. I take it to heart myself. God can't deal in lies in the deep, and in the deepest sense. That's a comfort to us. A comfort to us. God's uh, penetrating light of the God's word and ultimately his work, uh, but his pen, the penetrating of light of his word exposes our stupidity in telling lies. Psalm 51, verse 6, David had been telling lies later on in his life, and Psalm 51 is his repentance, and Psalm 51, verse 6, surely he says, you, Lord, desire truth in the inner being. You desire truth in the inner being. We all have Amalekite tendencies, don't we? 
one way or another, however we might couch it. We all have Amalekite tendencies, but God will expose us. And without repentance, there's no escaping the consequences, whoever you are. Jesus said to his disciples in Luke chapter 12, there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight and what you've whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the rooftops. And Paul cautions us. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament cautions us. He says, God sees it all. That's me paraphrasing his words. Uh, uh, this isn't. This is the truth. This is the actual words. He will judge men's secrets through Jesus Christ. He will judge men's secrets through Jesus Christ as my gospel declares. Romans 2.16. As my gospel declares. Yes, the Lord Jesus, or God, will judge my men's secrets through the Lord Jesus Christ as my gospel declares, judge, yes. Uh, but there is forgiveness in the gospel that Paul declared. There is forgiveness, even for lies. There's forgiveness for lies and all other sin when you bow the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ and repent. That's the good news when you know the gospel. So get to know the gospel. It's hard in one message uh, on a Sunday morning here to get the whole message of the gospel, the understanding of the gospel, conveyed when there's so much else we can learn from scriptures. But get to know the gospel. Read John's gospel twice. Get to know the gospel. Get to know the gospel to enjoy the gospel and receive the blessing of the gospel, but then to be able to share the gospel. There is forgiveness for all sin, even lies. Well, unknown to David, unknown to David, uh, this Amalekite lies to gain honour, but instead his words are guaranteed to upset. It's a staggering start, but then secondly, the second observation is, is there's there's a sorrowful pause, a sorrowful pause at a time of high tension. When this Amalekites communicated this bad news, high tension, uh, and I guess the first time reader will be itching to find out how David is going to react to the man who stood over the king and killed him. How's David going to react to that? But grief, don't get the answer immediately, grief is too great. Grief comes first before judgment, as it were. Grief is too great. Verse 11, Then David and all the men with him took hold of their clothes, and they tore them, and they mourned and wept and fasted till till the evening for Saul and his son Jonathan, for the army of the Lord and the house of Israel, because they had fallen, been killed by the sword. So there's grief. And grief will continue locally and grief will continue nationally via this lament that David David composes later on from verse 17. We're not really going there this morning, don't worry. I'll make a long message. But grief will continue and grief, of course, is rights. Uh, 
We don't need to apologise for grief. Loss is real. We heard that on Thursday at the Thanksgiving service for Timothy Lau, just 20. Grief is real. We don't apologise. Loss is real. Loss will last. It'll change. The feeling of loss will change in families as time goes by, as Ian Garrett pointed out, about, but it will last. It's a lifetime. Many here grieve, I know that. But there's also, if you're a believer, you and me have val another valuable grief, valuable grief over sin. Grief over sin, Grief over our personal sin. Again, our hope is the gospel. Christ died for my sin, according to the scriptures, and I believe the scriptures. Christ died for my sin, and so God can forgive me. Part of the gospel, key part of the gospel that you need to get to know. Christ died for our sin, according to the scriptures. So God can forgive. And David's grief is over the death of friends, but his sorrow is surely uh, deeper, and it says it's deeper here. Israel has de been defeated. And before the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, Israel represented God's people on earth. They weren't what they should be, but they represented God's people on earth. They were the visible church which David loves, and this church, inverted commas, is in ruin. Do you grieve for the visible church? <laughs> in this country, it's ruined. It's defeated, you see. The church has been losing battles constantly against godless philosophies and been giving in to them, see? The church has lost touch with the truth. The church is loving this world. And so that because the church loves this world, it's continually moving the goalposts on what is sin. I can be proud of any practice. How often do you hear that word? It's the most used word in this country, I think. I am proud. doesn't matter what you do. In any circle of life, people come on television and say, I'm proud about it. Wasn't that one of the first deadly sins? Hmm. I can even claim that God is pleased with me. So, wrong is right, and so there's no need to repent, and so there's no gospel of the cross to proclaim. So Paul is wrong when he says, I want to know only Christ and him crucified. And more importantly, Christ is wrong. The Lord Jesus Christ, when he started his ministry here on earth, in Mark chapter 1, we read that he said... His first words publicly, according to Mark, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe. The good news. Ultimately, I am going to die for your sin. For your sin. And I define it. 
God says, I define your sin. It's time to mourn. A sorrowful pause, you see. A time to mourn. But, don't worry, the Lord Jesus Christ is still building his church. He's still building his kingdom. There are people today all around the world, 24-7, who are coming into the kingdom of God, an eternal kingdom that will never be defeated because the king has risen from the dead and reigns over all. And since there will be a time of judgment, there will be a time of reckoning, it's time to seek God on your knees. I don't care who you are. It's time to seek God on your knees. Believer or unbeliever, it's time to seek God on your knees. On your knees, I mean, literally. Repentance towards God and faith in Jesus Christ. Well... A staggering start, a sorrowful pause. But then from this passage, I've drawn or, or, or filtered, as it were, tried to, from this passage, a security coming from fear. A security coming from fear. Verse 13 and following, I'll go there in a moment, but a security coming from fear. You see, a proper fear can keep you safe. A proper fear can keep you safe. It stops you making the wrong choice. David enjoyed security, even though, he was a, even though he was out on the borders of the country being attacked by the army of Israel for years under the authority of under the king Saul. David enjoyed security from his fear of the Lord. He was unwilling, you see, because of his fear of the Lord, because he knew that the, the Lord had anointed Saul as king, you see, he was unwilling to take matters into his own hand regarding the king. And when his men said on two occasions, once in a cave and once in the camp of Saul, here's your opportunity to kill him. David only once cut off the corner of Saul's robe while he was in one of those circumstances uh, and he had a grieved conscience because he'd done that to the king. He'd cut off the corner of his robe. But his men said, no one, go on. God is with you. God is with you. Kill him. David said, on both occasions, I'm paraphrasing one of them, but using it from 1 Samuel 26, verse 9, who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? I would suggest in society today they're laying hands on the Lord's anointed, the Lord Jesus Christ. They're not guiltless. They're not guiltless. They are wanting to destroy the Lord's anointed. They are not guiltless. The king reigns. The king will judge. Who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? But we see the opposite in this Amalekite, don't we, you see? There was no fear of the Lord in his eyes. No fear of the Lord in his, his eyes. In his own eyes, this is Psalm 36, verse 1 and 2, by the way, 
No fear of the Lord in his own eyes. In his own eyes, he flatters himself too much to detect or hate his sin. That's what it says in Scripture. Psalm 36, 1 and 2. No fear of the Lord in his own eyes. In his own eyes, he flatters himself too much to detect or hate his sin of killing the Lord's anointed. He's happy, you see, to give Saul a push into eternity, if that were true. Happy to give Saul a push into eternity. Many people are being pushed into eternity today. Do you know that? Thousands of people in Holland are being pushed into eternity today. Some have asked it for themselves, and some have just been, their lives have been taken. I'm not lying. I'm telling you the truth. Because of the laws in that country allow it. People pushed into eternity. The answer to all the problems in this world, whether it's from little babies who are not yet born, to the oldest person, or, or the sickest person, or, or the mental health person, see? The answer to everything in this world is kill it. Get rid of it. The hope of this world is death. The gift of God is eternal life. Well, he's happy to push Saul into eternity and consequently this man, this Amalekite, has got no security, no security. He's only got vulnerability. He's ambitious and he thinks David is going to be pleased with him. I'm going to be the kingmaker and I've come to you with the crown and the armband. It was a complete misjudgment. David is simmering. Verse 13. David said to the young man, where are you from? I'm the son of an alien and a Malachite, he answered. Why were you not afraid to lift your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? He doesn't allow him to answer according to this. David called one of his own men, go strike him down. So he struck him down and he died. For David had said to him, your blood be on your own head. Your own mouth testified against you when you said, I killed the Lord's anointed. The coup de grace. Punished for what he said. And David's got no reason to think he didn't do it. But a godly fear, a godly fear is a mark of authentic faith. And godly fear must control our actions. Godly fear, therefore, gives us security. Safety, as far as the Lord is concerned, you see. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, turning a man from the snares of death. Even of the Saviour, it was said that, wasn't it? Isaiah said, before uh, chapter 11, verse 2, the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. All God wants is for us to understand reality. <laughs> he is God. The God of the scriptures is the God of the universe, you see. He is God. That's all he wants us to understand. That reality. He is God. God is holy. God is to be feared. The great good news is that God loves us. 
God loves us. He loves me. You can say that yourself. He loves me. And that's the gospel, you see. That God loves us. Yes, we've all sinned. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of the God who loves me is eternal life. How? Through Jesus Christ who carried my sin and my sorrow and he made them his very own. So do you know the fear of the Lord? Such a gracious help for your future. This Amalekite was only thinking about now. He wasn't thinking about his eternal future. You might think that godly fear is very limiting. But who is it that lost his life? The Amalekite. Who is it with a hope and a future? Well, it was the man after God's own heart. I close with this, the fourth observation. I'm not going to say much on this holier sentence. The fourth observation, which is a comfort, is this song of gladness, or song, song of sadness, verses 17 to 27. This song of sadness, good grief. And these words that he expresses here, I'm not going into them, these words that he expresses here will help this sweet singer of Israel in his grief. But also it will help the Israelites in their grief. It shows that David is no enemy of the king that he's about to replace. As I said earlier, I know there's plenty of grief amongst us, but disciples of the Lord Jesus know a Father who is the God of all comfort and comforts us in all our troubles so said the Apostle Paul, and comforts us in all our troubles so we also can comfort others with the comfort that we have ourselves received. Let's love and serve him and maybe we can die with David's last words on his lips some 40 years later, despite his many later griefs when he was able to say, as surely as the Lord lives, who delivered my soul out of every trouble. Will that be your testimony? Will that be the epilogue on your life? I pray that it will be. It needs to be. Heavenly Father, we pray that you will bless us and help us to love you, to trust you, to serve you, to live for you, to reflect you and your love to others. Lord, it's easy to be hard with those who we just don't like or doing things that are against you, Lord. Help us to be full of your grace, full of your love, full of your care, full of your compassion, knowing that people are fighting battles that we don't even know of. Help us to be kind and compassionate and help us, Lord, to forgive each other just as in Christ you forgave us. Help us, Lord, to reflect your way forward. And thank you, Lord, there is a way that you have for us, Lord, which is a way of life to life. We praise you, Lord, that for that, through the Lord Jesus, his mighty name, his mighty power, his mighty grace. Amen.
Well, we're going to sing as we...